another edition of the outsiders Brent Griffiths along with Robin Brownlee how you doing today well I'm I'm terrific Brent uh, like I think like I said to you earlier uh, I'd be better if my TV hadn't blown up in the home theater room last night but you know hey who needs a TV when you're stuck inside and can't go out and do anything what were you, what were uh, you watching? Mind. White Christmas or something where the color would be just so crazy that it would blow up your TV? I have no idea. I turned it on and it looked, it just looked wrong. So I'll worry about that down the road. But yeah, we've been spending a fair amount of time in front of the old tube with uh, things more locked down these days. So it'd be nice if it was working. But uh, hey, uh, first world problems. Absolutely. Uh, we have to remind everybody, The Outsiders is brought to you by the Macintosh Group at REMAX River City. We'll talk about Brent and everybody coming up in a little bit. Let's talk about our guests coming on the uh, the big podcast today. We're going to be chatting with Bob Stoffer from Oilers Now on 630 Ched. Also, it's the podcast going. Bob, and I've known Bob for a very long time, has never been shy to give his opinion. And I'm guessing it'll be the same today. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's not a more connected guy in town. And frankly, uh, for those who might say, yeah, well, he's with the rights holder. He should be connected when it comes to the Oilers. Uh, Bob's been connected since he was across the street. Uh, he's connected because he's hot. He hustles, he listens, and he does a better job, I think, than some people give him credit for, of, te- of calling it like he sees it. So, yeah, um, I can talk hockey with Bob all day, and I, I'm glad we get a chance to do that uh, today. Hey, we, we can actually touch a little bit on that, too, because Bob is always on the high wire every day when he opens the microphone up because he's an employee of the Edmonton Oilers, and yet he's still able to give it to give it bluntly the way it should be. I don't know how much pressure he has on him when he does that, but I'm sure he'll address that when we you know, chat with him a little bit about it. But it's hard enough to be objective and to give your opinion when you're working for a non-rights holder radio station because you, you know, some people always say, well, if you go too hard on them, they'll take away access. I've never once in my entire career had a team come to me and say, listen, if you don't lighten up a little bit, we're going to make sure that you can't have access or you can't have players. It's never happened to me. And I don't think that that, would happen now today anyway do you still am i wrong or do you think we're moving into a new controlled era of media uh well i think the media landscape is probably going to change we'll pick bob's brain on that as well but uh now i've had some people that were awfully pissed off 
and some real animated, shall we say, discussions over something I wrote oh, sure. in the past, but never a, you can't say this or we'll boot you off the plane. You can't say this or we won't let you in the dressing room. Um, if you play it anywhere near uh, down the middle, which is a long way of just saying fair. Yep. Now, opinion guys, columnists, they get to go outside those painted lines because they're paid to give their opinion. It might not, not always line up with what the team wants to hear. But even when you're doing that, if you're fair, praise when it's warranted, criticism when it's warranted, teams don't have a problem with that. At least that's my experience. I've only had one episode with a player, and it was Ed Hervey of the Edmonton Eskimos. <laughs> and it was after a Labor Day game, and he swung his helmet at another player, which is yeah. bad which is bad to begin with, but it got even worse because he missed the player and hit a referee. And yeah. he was going to deal with a suspension, and I went off the deep end on the radio the next morning. And then, of course, they played the rematch game on the Friday night. Ed wasn't playing. Ed saw me in the locker room after the game, and he gave me that, that real glare. And so I did what I always did, and that was I'm going to take this on, and I went right over to him. I said, hey, you want to talk? Yeah, let's chat. So we went around the corner from the locker room, and I said, look, all I'm asking you is, do you think I was fair? And he said, yes, you were. I said, I could have let up off the gas. And the other thing, too, I don't like to just keep hitting a guy with a frying pan over and over and over and over and over again. Make the point once and then shut up, right? Yeah. And so we uh, we talked it out. But the one thing I, I've never tolerated is having a yelling match across the locker room, and it's, uh, it's a dick-out contest. I just never, ever wanted to get into that with players. And so the ruling for me was, if you ever yell across the room at me, I will make your life miserable. Let's do <laughs> let's do it the professional way, like two gentlemen. Let's go down the hallway where it's nice and quiet. And you can yell at me all you want, or we can discuss it quietly, but there'll be no showboating in a locker room, right? And so I only ever had the one episode with Ed, who became a very good friend after that. And, uh, you know, I just, uh, I just wonder how much things have changed. And I've also worked for teams, but I haven't worked for teams. I did in Winnipeg a little bit where I worked for the team and I also broadcast. And I do recognize that it's tough. Now, that was back in the early 90s when I was in Winnipeg with the Jets. And that was, I had more issues with management and ownership than I ever did with the guys down in the locker room. So for Bob, I... Let's not forget that when Daryl Cates took over control of the Edmonton Oilers from the Edmonton Investors Group, what's the? Remember the first thing he said at the podium? Because I can tell you, no, what I it do was. not. I'm sitting listening to. We're running the broadcast from the uh, from the Coliseum. We're running it live, and and Daryl Cates gets up to the podium, and the very first thing he says, and I'm sitting in the office listening with Marty Forbes, my general manager. And the first thing that Daryl Cates says, well, I'm happy to have this over with so I don't have to deal with Bob Stoffer anymore. <laughs> and he laughed. We laughed in the office, but I also turned to Marty and I said, we're going to lose Bob. Because obviously Bob has made an impact on Daryl Cates in terms of his yep. tenaciousness. And uh, Bob's always been like that. I, you know, was I unhappy to lose Bob? Yeah, I was because Bob was a great talent on air and still is now that he's on the right shoulders. 
But we also were able to move Jason Greger into that position, which was another great decision we had to make at 1260 when I was there. But but for Bob, it's uh, it's it's tough. And I, I do want to get to have a chance to ask him a little bit about that, along with the hockey club and everything else. So there's that. World Juniors about ready to start up. The teams are finally in Edmonton. Took uh, some of the teams an awful long time to get here because they didn't book big planes to get here. They booked 737s, which required mm-hmm. refueling. And it sounded like two of the planes with six of the teams on those two planes landed either at Gander or someplace Halifax on en route to Edmonton. Now we're going to find out whether or not they're able to keep the COVID situation under control. And I'm guessing that by the end of this week, we'll know whether or not this event's going to be under control and running. There's a lot of water that's got to cross under or go underneath a few bridges here, Robin. Yeah, I mean, I, I hope it comes off without a hitch. It's a terrific event and will be, you know, even without people in the building. Uh, and, and same thing, look, for the National Hockey League, they're looking, you know, they've now circled January 13th for a 56-game schedule. I have my doubts uh, about the NHL schedule. I really hope I'm wrong, but COVID has the hammer. It all depends on what happens with this bloody pandemic that's been dogging us for nine or ten months now. you got to keep everybody safe. Hey, if you can do it, uh, play the games. We showed that in the bubble in Toronto and Edmonton earlier in the play-ins and playoffs. I hope they can pull it off, but man, we got to have a look at the numbers in a week, 10 days, 15 days from now. That's going to dictate everything, whether we like it or not. We're going to get to Bob Stoffer coming up shortly. We do have to tell you that The Outsiders is brought to you by the Macintosh Group at Remax River City. 2020 is coming to a conclusion. What a year it has been. Very interesting been interesting for the, the gang at the Macintosh group too because there were some new challenges that they had to deal with when it came to selling homes and helping people buy homes in the Edmonton metro area and they not only rose to that challenge they finished the year off rather successfully and that's because they had to find a way to adapt to what's been going on so uh, they were successful down the stretch in helping buyers find their next home and also helping sellers get a big sold sign on their front yard. And Brent obviously is uh, very pleased with the way they were able to round things out a little bit here. They're also looking for a new team member at last report. If you're interested and you're uh, you uh, have your, would he get a degree in real estate? I'd, I never asked him what it is. Yeah. A license, just a piece of paper to wave around. Then give him a call at the McIntosh group at 780-464-0075. Or you can go online at macintoshgroup.ca. Like I said, looking for sellers, looking for buyers, looking for a new agent. So make sure you give Brent a call. All right, you ready to get to Bob Stoffer? Yeah, let's do that, huh? Yeah, absolutely. Joining us on The Outsiders is a longtime radio voice in the city of Edmonton. As a great podcast going, a huge podcast, let me rephrase that, is the host of Oilers Now on 630 Ched, does color on the Edmonton Oiler broadcasts. Man, we go a long way back. And Bob Stoffer joins us on the podcast today. How you doing? Good. Well, we go a long way back because you either rightly or wrongly uh, selected me back in, 
I guess it would have been the fall of 2002, and we started and launched uh, Total Hockey in February of 03. But as you know, we'd had multiple conversations before that. And, and to be honest, actually, you know, you, you went off and you did the U of A, and then you went off to Winnipeg. And I remember when you came back to go to K97 at that time, we, uh, we had multiple conversations as well. So I've always owed a debt of gratitude, Bryn, to, to you, uh, as well as Marty Forbes and Carl Stark and Greg Diamond for – sort of giving me my first uh, commercial uh, mainstream opportunities. So for all the Bob Stoffer haters out there that are currently watching this, blame Brent, it's his fault. I'm the Dr. Frankenstein. <laughs> hey, and the other thing too is that I think we've shared uh, our fair share of Baileys and coffee. We used to do a lot of meetings over Baileys and coffee, which is very, you know, at the Christmas time of season is what everybody else rolls on. But I think you and I had 365 days of that. Yeah, that was uh, mostly between 03 and 08, and uh, a lot of the times it was uh, it was during uh, the stretch that uh, we'd go to overtime broiler and tap room downtown. Sandy Nesbitt used to, to, to run overtime, and I was working, as, as you know, at the U of A, uh, a place that I, you know, I, I still care about to this day, um, and was the SID and was also hosting the uh, drive show in 1260, and so you would do the morning show and during the winter when you because in the summer you'd be off golfing. Uh, but in the winter, uh, you would come and uh, meet me at least three or four times a week and we'd go for lunch and have a steak sandwich and kibitz and do all that kind of stuff. And yes, I, I, you're directly responsible for at least uh, one of the three chins that people are seeing right now. So uh, uh, the Bailey's coffee has been a regular drink of mine for about the last, well, since about 2004, so the last 16 years. There's nothing wrong with having one every second day. No. Well, look, I got to I got to jump in on all the feel good and huggy kissy stuff going here. Uh, that is so you, Robin Brownlee. Oh, sure it is, absolutely, <laughs> Mr. TMZ here. Um, when the uh, uh, talking about how things get started, uh, Bob was the one guy in this town who basically, when the son told me to pack my shit and leave, uh, said, uh, come on over and uh, do a segment with me, uh, uh, you know, uh, weekly. Uh, gave me my first taste of the microphone. Uh, still don't know that I've come close to mastering it, but of course, when Bob went to the rights holder at Ched uh, and G Jason Greger slid down into that slot, I thought, well, um, that was fun while it lasted. And uh, after Bob left, Gregor was good enough to give me a shot that lasted eight years. So uh, there's a little connection here all the way around. Well, you know, Robin, to be honest, like we, we actually, uh, you started doing hits for us when you were still on the beat, uh, full-time on the beat. And my theory is just because an organization makes a decision doesn't mean I have to make the same decision. And uh, we had something similar happen a couple summers ago with John Shannon and Sportsnet. Uh, John became a, a sport, an insider on Oilers now, and Sportsnet decided to cut some salary, and they they moved out some big guys: Doug McLean, Nick Kiprios, uh, Bob McCallum. Before that, and, and John Shannon was uh, another guy that was collateral damage as a result of that. And we we stuck with uh, uh, John. And I mean, the fact is, you when you were on that that beat, uh, you knew what was going on with that team, and you're around that team on a day to day basis. I might have my philosophical perspectives at 30,000 feet on, you know, 
from 2003 to, you know, sort of 2006, 07 when, when you got moved off there, but you were actually, you know, you were there, you were there living it every single day. So you're a real asset to us and you had a good pulse for what was going on and you understood the game and we didn't agree on everything, but it was important. I mean, I know I talked to Brent about this. I'm like, we're going to keep going down that path. So, uh, there, that's, that's the warm fuzzy. I'm glad uh, Jason kept you for a number of years. And, um, I think in this day and age, it's more, it's not necessarily about, you know, the the technical broadcast chops and abilities of each individual guy. It's more about what the guy has to say that should matter. And you were always on top of it and had a good feel for uh, the hockey club at that time. Hey, let's stay there with, let's stay with that thought because we, we, we've had this discussion. Well, recently we had it with Rod Peterson out of Regina about the ability to say how you feel. You are on a tightrope yeah. on a daily basis because you're paid by the hockey club to do a hockey show, yet you are able to maintain a level of objectivity. That can't be easy, Bob. We've talked about it before. Brent, some people would say I haven't uh, maintained a level of objectivity, and I've looked at things through others' colored glasses. I will tell you, I can say whatever I want, provided I can back it up. So if I can make an argument and, uh, uh, you know, I have a tremendous amount of empathy for what Oiler fans have gone through. They've stuck by the organization every step of the way. There's some extenuating circumstances that are why things worked out the way they are that are specifically unique to Edmonton. I mean, I'll, it's, it's ironic because I put a tweet out today about Jimmy Carson, okay? And when that trade came down, and of course it later was really a sale, we know that, Jimmy Carson scored 27 goals in his first 32 games as an Oiler. He was the second youngest player in NHL history to get to 100 goals after the guy he was traded for, Wayne Gretzky. He's still the second uh, youngest player in NHL history to get to 100 goals. He was he was on the precipice of being a real good player. And he decided in the second year of the team to quit. Wasn't right for Edmonton. Whatever. Culture wasn't right. Expectation wasn't right. You talk to some people, they'll tell you he never liked it here to begin with. Um and, you know, the Oilers were a band of brothers and they lost Wayne, who was the leader of the band, the lead singer of the band, and suddenly Carson came in. But where I'm going with this is there are some unique challenges to Edmonton. And so you have to be good to offset those unique challenges. Now, ironically, I do think it's, it's moving in a direction that's much better for Edmonton long-term, both on and off the ice. Like, you have McDavid, you have dry Dreisaitl, those are attractive players. That's how guys like Tyson Berry sign a one-year deal when they could have accepted $2 million more a year elsewhere. Uh, Kyle Turris comes here on a two-year deal. He had opportunities elsewhere. Cahoon had opportunities elsewhere. When, when you and me were at 1260, like, they weren't getting those guys, and now they are. And then the other part of it, frankly, is I think we're seeing a little bit of a, a philosophical shift from the players as to what's important. So suddenly, minus 17 out in Edmonton doesn't matter as much is safety, and and I and I and I do think that that's going to benefit. That that could you know I think today's player is more socially attuned than ever before, and that could work to Edmonton's advantage. But in fairness, for all the criticism that gets directed the organization's way, the reality is, and you worked inside the organization, Brent, you know this. There were some hard challenges in procuring talent. You have to draft well. You have to develop well. You have to build the right culture internally. It has been far from perfect, and there's been growing pains along the way. But 
But actually, Edmonton now is headed in a pretty good place. But in terms of autonomy, there's a you know people would be surprised. And Robin's an acute listener to this. If you listen to our broadcast with Jack and me, I don't hold back. We don't hold back. Like you, like I'm not cheerleading on the. Make no mistake, I want the Oilers to win, but I'm not cheerleading on the way for the team to win. I don't refer to the team as we on the air. I don't wear an Oilers jersey or an Oilers, uh, you know, golf shirt or an Oilers jacket on practice days, on off days, and stuff like that. And so. You know, and and that said, there's going to be some people that'll just sit there and say, well, you work for the club, so you're bought and paid for. And others can make that, and you two guys have worked in the business long enough, you can make, you you understand that distinct difference between an out-and-out bought and paid for show and a guy that's got the political autonomy to say and do uh, what he wants, again, provided I can back it up. You know, it's interesting you'd say that, Bob, and I imagine... There are people out there because, you know, there's always people out there that whether it's you, me, or, uh, you know, anybody that has a platform the size you do are going to roll their eyes. Yeah, sure, Bob. I'll tell you what. Now, I'm a, I'm a little bit out of date here, but I'm not sure things have changed because I haven't traveled with the team for some time. I love radio. I always wished I was better at it. I listen to, to rights holders all the time. And I can say this, people want to roll their eyes, go ahead. Uh, And I'm speaking of when Bob first came on with Rod, because you got to remember, he's coming from a station where, you know, there's no Oiler logo on his paycheck. He was a solid critic and a fair critic. I always thought some people thought he was too hard on the Oilers. It's funny. He goes across the street and some people assume, well, now he goes easy on them. I never get the impression, Bob, that you go easy on them. You can look, there's a lot of aspects there. There's a lot of balls in the air and a lot of moving parts that the casual person doesn't understand. And there's criticism. Hey, if people want you to go lose your mind and start yelling and screaming, well, that's not going to happen. That's, that's not you. And that's not the job. But in terms of fair criticism and calling things damn close to the way they actually are, I didn't see anybody walk that line like you did. There are a lot of homers out there in that league. Even today, uh, I don't count you among them. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, you know, it's funny. When, 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 I, when I had total sports, uh, I always had empathy for the position that ownership was in with the Edmonton Investors Group. Like, I thought those guys basically stepped up and they did it as a courtesy to the city to keep the team in town. I didn't agree with how Peter did things. I, and I wasn't naive to what Peter was doing. You know, I, I Peter used money that was coming in for the Oilers and money that he acquired via trades to, you know, in the, in the Gretzky trades, Gretzky sale and the Messier sale to, to you know, at that time, it, let's not be naive here. It helped prop up some other challenges that he had. Yeah. Um, but I always had empathy for the Edmonton Investors Group and I had empathy for the position Kevin Lowell was in because the Oilers were hamstrung prior to the 0405 uh, lockout. Uh, in terms of coaching the team, I thought Craig McTavish was a good coach. I don't know if I, to this day, I'd say, you know, the one thing I used to challenge him on was his patience with the unskilled players. Cause you need, they're, they're a different breed of player. And so, uh, it didn't surprise me that uh, Robin, let's, let's think back to the 06, uh, playoffs. You and me were the only two guys that picked Edmonton to beat Detroit. 
we had guys in town saying the Oilers were going to lose in three to the Red Wings. And I just looked at the Oilers once they got Rollison. I was a pretty good team, even in 03, 04. It was a, like, talk about advanced analytics. If people had done the advanced numbers back then, they would have realized, like, Craig actually, you know, in 01, 02, Edmonton was the second best defensive team in the NHL. He didn't make the playoffs. He knew how to shut teams down. Yeah. And, and, but they needed a guy that could stop the puck. And then they had Pronger coming, coming out of the 05 lockout. That was a pretty, like, that was a pretty good team. They weren't 28 points or whatever separated by Detroit that the numbers suggested. And I just, I remember watching the Red Wings and there were a couple of their veteran players of Babcock and the body language. And I'm like, you know what? These guys are right for the pick. They're right to be knocked off here. And, uh, you know, I, I just, just may I add, like I was a little bit fearful of the matchup between Chicago and Edmonton this year because Chicago had nothing. Like the Oilers in 08, 06, the Oilers in 06 had nothing to lose, right? And so they were they were the underdogs, and they could, they, could, they could lock it down a bit. Chicago came in, had nothing to lose against the Oilers, and they were only separated by 11 points. So, And I didn't think Edmonton was just going to walk Chicago in the opening round. So... There's there's lots of different ways to, to see things, you know. I I actually it's funny. I fans of Edmonton guys they think Craig, Craig McTavish was a great coach. I think Craig was a good coach, but they think he was a terrible GM. I don't think he was a terrible GM. He, he got a two year window to be GM, and I, I think he he made some decent moves during that time. So it's it's funny about perspective, right? So. Uh, I appreciate what you're saying, and in terms of going from 1260 over to the Dooney Letters broadcast, um, we didn't. I, I no one ever said to me, "Now you have to, uh, you know, be uh, super supportive of every single thing that happens." You got to call them as you see them, and, and the other thing is, as you both know, when you're doing live sports, when you're doing live sports, you do at times get caught up in the emotion. So that's a very difficult thing to sort of make sure you keep under check and don't overreact. So it, it's, it is a tricky, in ter- the, the, the two jobs are different. Like hosting Oilers now is different than doing color during the games. Uh, but definitely the emotion of the game can get to you at times and can frustrate you. And we've had some frustrating moments, but I, I maintain like it's a great combination of roles and I think I'm lucky to do what I do. It's funny you should bring up that Detroit series because I was watching game six and uh, and the Oilers really battled back hard in the third period to win it on the Hemsky goal late with about a minute and a couple of cents before the uh, conclusion. And uh, you start, and I think I was very dismissive of that team. And then you see some of the players that they brought in down the stretch. And uh, that team, I still remember, and I'm one of those guys that thought they were going to get swept. But I do remember after that game walking around the concourse level and chatting with Dan Barnes, who at that point was with the Journal and the Sun, thinking, I wonder if they found a little magic here. Now, here's the question as we move forward. The Oilers, a lot of people thought they were going to beat Chicago. I went with you. I didn't like the, the matchup at all. And then you start looking back at the previous season, thinking to yourself, man, if they'd have found a way to win three or four more games, they would be not in a play-in series. They'd be in. So now the question remains, once we get a season started here, how much different is this team going to be? I think Ken Holland's done a pretty solid job during the offseason. Your thoughts on that? Um, well, Brent, it was, it was actually had Edmonton was up 4-2 at home against Dallas. 
in uh, in like late November yep. a year ago. If they had won that game in regulation and not lost in overtime, that would have been the percentage difference that Edmonton would have been in the top four and Dallas would have been in the play-in series. And based on how Dallas performed early, Dallas would have been in trouble. Uh, in terms of, I, I think it's, I think it's a better team. I, I don't see people say, well, they don't have clap bomb to me. Like with Oscar, he seems to, you know, it, it, it's, yeah, it's a loss. There's no question. It's a loss. But, but he's very, sign very mercurial. Barry. He was a very mercurial player. There'd be times when he's on fire. That's, that's and, a, then, yeah. and then other times I'm going, Oh my God, really? Well, you're not going to beat me the better, better guy, which is, yeah. you know, you, you, you want to cheer for him. He's a real decent uh, person devoid of ego. Uh, I, I didn't, to be honest with you guys, like, because like we were down there for all the practices in the training camp in uh, July, I had no idea he was in the pain he was. Okay. I just know that when I was down there, Philip Roberg for the first week was the best defenseman on the ice by a mile. And then Bouchard actually closed the gap a bit. Ethan Bear looked pretty good. And I didn't even think, well, geez, you know, Oscar and Adam Larson, as it turned out, Oscar and Adam Larson, you know, Oscar never was at 100% that play in series, and Adam Larson only played two games. And that was a big factor in the Oilers' demise against Chicago was their top defense bearing wasn't their top defense bearing. In terms of the team, a lot of people say, well, they didn't upgrade in goal. That's true. They didn't upgrade in goal. But Miko Koskinen basically had the same same save percentage last year. Um, as Jacob Arkstrom. I think Miko's, I think Miko can probably play 28 to 34 games in a 58, six game schedule and give you pretty decent goaltending. Mike Smith, I think is Mike Smith's a competitive guy. I wouldn't bet against him and the coach knows him. And the orders have a little bit of flexibility there as well. They've also signed Anton Forsberg. They didn't have Anton Forsberg last year. So they're better in goal in terms of depth, just by virtue of having Forsberg defense. You can say, all right, they don't have cleft bomb. They're not going to be as good. We'll see. We'll see on defense. Uh, Barry's going to give a different dimension. Right shot on the power play. He's got something to prove. Uh, Bouchard's going to be pushing hard. Bear, they'll get his contract done at some point. And then up front, there's no question they're better. And, they, and guys, they were, they were not too good up front until December 31st when Yamamoto came up. Then he changed the complaint. Of course, they split McDavid and Drysaddle up at that time, played Yamamoto with Leon. Wherever R&H goes, that's the second line. Well, now they've added Turris to be a third-line center. Um, I mean, they got you guys know the numbers. They got killed third and fourth line. Last year, Shane was minus 25 on five. In true five-on-five situations, in Jujar Kara was minus 19. And that was those were the third and fourth-line centers to start the series against Chicago. So... I, I don't think Edmonton was about as bad a five-on-five five team as a lot of people thought last year, especially in the second half. And they've added, you know, we'll, I don't know what Pugliarvi's going to do coming back. I don't know. But I do know that Ennis is a smart, useful player who, by the way, got knocked out in the series against Chicago. Another thing that kind of hurt him a bit. Cahoon has very strong analytics. Um, I, I think they're better up front. TBA in, uh, on defense. And probably deeper in goal. Uh, I think it's unrealistic to think they'll be as good as they were on special teams. So they have to be better in front. What about uh, you know? What about you, Robin? What do you think? 
the signing, well, the signing I like most is Tyson Berry because you get a guy coming off uh, an off year. At least it was off at the start of the year until uh, the coaching change. You're getting him uh, for a look-see at three and a half million bucks. That's a bargain. Tyson Berry, you look at his points over the years. Is he a complete defenseman? No, he's not. What? How many players are complete top to bottom? He's gonna. He's a steal to me. And if he likes it here, and they like him, uh, there's a chance to do something long term. The other one I really like is uh, Kyle Turris. Playing if you're playing in that three hole, he's not playing above his head. He's playing right in his wheelhouse at this point in his career. And another guy coming off a difficult time where he didn't really show. Uh, what he's about. He's not at an age where you're going, well, he's falling off the cliff. It's not coming back. So to me, uh, Barry, uh, those two signings are, are the, are the biggest difference, even if everything else stays relatively the same. And what about coaching? There were times during that uh, play and run where you were wondering whether or not uh, Dave was going to make a change or two, uh, I even go back to 2006 because I remember Craig McTavish telling me, look, you've got to be really careful with your goaltenders in the playoffs. You can easily F it up if you're not careful. And there were some question marks about the way Dave handled things down the stretch a little bit. And the power play was finally where people here have been expecting it to be for the last five years. I'm with you. I don't know if they're going to be able to match. We're incredible numbers last season, Bob. But there's some really fun question marks going into a shortened season this time around. I, I look forward to it. I think it's going to be fun to watch. Well, Brent, there's two questions with the coaching and the playing series, right? One was, why did Dave Tippett start Mike Smith? I'm not surprised for a second no. that he started Mike Smith. Okay? Yeah. He had history with Mike Smith. Um, we are not in the room. I, there's nothing that frustrates me more than media guys who try to present it like, they're in the know, they're in the room. Sorry, bud, you're not in the room. I'm, you guys have both traveled on team planes before. Even then, we don't 100% know what's going on, and we're not supposed to know what's going on. Uh, but knowing enough about Mike Smith's personality, it would not surprise me if that was, a, you know, if there were some leadership abilities in him, and he wanted, he wanted to start, and he... He had a tough first performance and he gave away the second goal and those sort of things spiral on you because he's trying to help out his team too much. So the, the one question mark was the goal. And then the other question mark was why wasn't Nugent Hopkins with dry settle in Yamamoto? And I think there was a concern of balance and, and I'll say this right now, wherever Ryan Nugent Hopkins goes, if he's with dry settle, that's the Oilers' first line. And he's with, or if he's with McDavid, that's the Oilers' first line because he's an elite complimentary winner. So those were the two biggest questions. And because Edmonton lost the series, those are fair questions to ask. And I would think that there would be a fair amount of discussion. Again, my, I don't see the team. I think the team will be top five power play. I don't think that, like, that they were number two in penalty kill. Like, that to me, I mean, they went from, like, 30th to number two. You know, they've, they've had a bottom three penalty kill for like the last four years, and they went to a second. So Jim Playfair obviously did a real good job heading that up. And in fairness, I criticized Sheehan five-on-five. Five. He and Archibald really helped out the penalty kill. So, um, 
they're going to have some options there, assuming we, of course, get back to playing. And uh, and I do think the group has pride. Like, it didn't end well for them. And I the, the question, and I'll ask, Brent, I'll ask you this. Like, how much do you evaluate seven days in August versus the balance of a 71-game regular season in terms of assessing what the team they, because it seems to me we got a lot of people out there sort of looking at, you know, we I had, you know, there was there was a writer in town that called the Oilers lost to Chicago in a Bears. They lost game three and game four by a goal. They're up in game three at five minutes left. They're all over Chicago in game four, and Chicago got the only goal in the third period. Like when, when the Oilers lost in 92, Robin, you were covering the team. You know, they lost one of those games at home in that four-game sweep, and that was the end of the Oilers. You know, it was remarkable they'd gone three rounds that year. They got beat seven nothing at home in the yeah. playoffs. Yeah, yeah. Like you lose, you lose a, a pair of one-goal games that are one-bounce games where you're out shooting the opposition team significantly in the third period of both games. That to me is. But I, so the question I have for both of you guys, Ren, we'll start with you. Is how much do you evaluate what happened in that one week versus the balance of the overall season? You know, there's little things that I watch for. One, I thought Corey Crawford was just a little bit better than the Oilers goaltending. He made the right save at the right time. We've talked about power play. You can have the number one power play, but it's when are you getting those power play goals so they come in at the right time. The thing that bothered me about that series against Chicago that I didn't really, I maybe kind of glossed over during the, the season, and that was they just didn't seem to show any sandpaper or any heart. Like it never felt like they were going to find a way to come back when they fell behind. And it's the one area where I needed to see more out of, well, I'll say Zach Cassian, players like that, those sandpaper guys, because you don't win playoff series. If your goaltending is good, you have to have great goaltending. You don't win playoff series. If your bottom six guys aren't contributing, looking back at that 2006 run, as we've had an opportunity on Sportsnet, they be, keep running and running and running the finals. And then you realize how great those those backup guys were to carry you. You take a look at Oilers winning those five cups, and it was lines three and four that are the ones that had to take the pressure off lines one and two. Never felt that way with the Oilers in that short playoff run that the guys on lines three and four were going to be able to give a little bit of relief or chip in when they had to. So for me, it's not Connor McDavid. It's not Leon Dreisaitl or Ryan Nugent Hopkins that, that I was watching carefully. I was watching those other guys to see if somebody was going to step up. And that was really disappointing to me because I think Chicago found that from their three and four lines, and then, of course, their number one and two lines, and their goaltending was really solid too. So they just – and that was the matchup that you just talked about. You know, how can you not be scared of Jonathan Taves? And, uh, you know, I just – I they never seemed to – they gave up that really bad one goal, and it just seemed like somebody pulled the plug on the bathtub. It just went like this all the way down. You know, the way I see it, the problem wasn't the Oilers' best players. Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, those are the last guys you look at. And I'll throw Ryan Nugent Hopkins in there, too, because he makes things go. He's that Swiss Army knife, Ryan Nugent Hopkins. You know, he's gone from being a center to being a very effective winger. You know, the Blackhawks got a really good period and a half from Corey Crawford in the deciding game. That was the difference. Corey Crawford wasn't any good uh, until then. It was. It's just that the Oiler goaltending 
was a, a, a touch below as well. And I agree with Bob. I fully understand why Dave Tippett went with Mike Smith. Mike Smith, he knows him. And as a player, a guy like that who battles, guys want to play for. He competes his ass off every minute he's out there. I still disagreed with giving him the start. I wasn't surprised that he gave him the start. Right. But I thought Koskinen, just based on numbers, because, you know, there were times during the season that it looked like the wheels had finally come off Mike Smith. And then sure enough, like Smith, he digs in, he gets pissed off, and he proves everybody wrong and goes on another stretch that shows, no, I'm not done yet, guys. And I like that, but I still disagreed with the start. You, you want to win you, you want to win that first game in a short series. Uh, other than that, you know, embarrassment now. Nah, it wasn't a, a you know, it's not an embarrassment. It's a disappointment. You could have gone on a nice run when you're playing the bubble in your own rink. Lost. Uh, embarrassment, not so much. Leon Dreisaitl, Connor McDavid, not at all. Bob, back to you. Uh, look, I have my doubts whether we're going to get a 56-game season, and it's January 13th. I've been harping on this, and I may be wrong. It's just my gut. It's been wrong before. I think we're going to come out of this Christmas break with the numbers are just going to be ridiculous with this COVID thing that's been a pain in the ass for everybody. It's going to be astronomical on both sides of the border. I think 48 games starting in February is more likely. But let's say for now it's 56. They want to start January 13th. Where do the Oilers stack up given their changes, what Holland did in the this offseason, and what you see from the other teams? Where do they stack up if we do play and there is this Canadian division? Well, you read on the COVID situation, unfortunately. You know, like, look, we're on Chad. Chad's a news and information talk station. we got to know those numbers. I mean, I have a – I've got a list here, guys. Of, uh, right there is every single month, and it's broken down into everyday uh, reporting numbers. And it's – you know, we, we, we had more deaths yesterday in Edmonton due to COVID, 16 deaths yesterday than we had between March the 11th and the end of June. Like, that's just scary. Yeah. Uh, so we, we got a battle on our hands, and there's no question about that. So uh, you could very well be right, Robin, in terms of, you know, maybe 56 just isn't pragmatic, and ultimately we get to 48, or maybe it's less than that. In terms of an all-Canadian division, the Oilers had the best winning percentage last year. of was seven teams. Toronto was second. Uh, and then... Calgary, Vancouver, and Winnipeg were separated by 0.001 percentage points. So there weren't set, like, it was tight between those three teams. Obviously, Montreal is better. I think the Oilers, like, I could easily see the Oilers. I, I think it's the perfect case scenario. They had the disappointing play-in series. And then, you know, a lot of people have got Edmonton sort of pigeonholed as a 3-4-5 team. That very well may be where they're, uh, you know, where they may end up finishing. But I'll, I'll tell you right now, I thought the team was going to take a step forward last year. Saying that, I never thought what happened in 17-18 was going to happen. And I thought they'd bounce back in 18-19. They bounced back in 19-20. I think Edmonton's going to compete for top spot. I, you can't dismiss Toronto. Toronto's got tremendous top six forwards. Yeah. Uh, Montreal has dramatically improved their team. Uh, they've got, you know, by getting Jake Allen, you can, there's no question who's got the best goaltending. Montreal's got the best goaltending. 
I also like Joel Edmondson uh, on defense. He's, you know, one of the top four D-man. That's tough. Where my concern with Montreal is at center. They're relying on a couple of young centers there uh, between Suzuki and Kakaniemi. Uh, Ottawa is obviously in a rebuild. I think they're going to be an exciting team to watch in the future. The Leafs have got like three backup goaltenders, but they don't have a 1B. I still think Freddie Anderson's better than he showed last year. Time will tell in their defense. And, and they're, they got old support players uh, up front with uh, some experience. Winnipeg. I don't know if Laurent, or I don't know if uh, Connor Hellebuck can do what he can do, what he did last year. To me, that seems pretty challenging. Yeah. I, their defense is a question mark. They got a great top six. Their Jets have got a terrific top six. Calgary. Markstrom, it's going to be a lot of pressure there. Uh, there's something uh, like Calgary was a bit of a surprise with how well they played in the playoffs. Um, I picked them to beat Winnipeg before the Jets lost Shifley uh, and Line. Uh, <laughs> you know, again, it's all about the matchups, right, in terms of that play-in. But um, I think Calgary will, like, I, I think Edmonton, Toronto, Montreal, and Calgary will be the top four. And people say, well, what about Vancouver? Vancouver had Markstrom. He was terrific last year. They also had a lot of depth at forward. They don't have the same depth at forward this year. Uh, you could argue Schmidt's better than Tanev. Maybe. Uh, most people would say he is better than Tanev. But I go back to the lack of depth up front that they, I mean, they had, that's, that's the thing. Like Chicago had way deeper forwards than Edmonton last year. So Edmonton couldn't play a sustained five-on-five game in that, uh, in that playing series. And when the Oilers played against Vancouver and when they played against Calgary, you know, those teams got them sort of further down the lineup. And that's where I think Edmonton's increased depth of forward will help. So Edmonton, Toronto, Montreal, and uh, Calgary, those in some order, those would be the top four teams, Vancouver in the five spot, the Jets in the six, and Ottawa for seven. We are almost out of time. I got to ask you one quickly about the World Junior Hockey Championship, which is such a great event. I got to see it last year in the Czech Republic. It's fun watching. Yeah. It's fun watching Canada win when you're away from home. I've seen them win at home, but there's something really special about being in a foreign country and seeing Canada do what they did last year. The question I have this year is the teams are here, but are they actually going to be able to hold this event because it's one thing to keep NHL players under control in a bubble. These are junior hockey players. And I just, I, right now, I, I just don't even know if they're going to get this event off the ground. Well, Brent, that's a fair question. I mean, obviously we're all hoping for this to come to fruition because we know what it means for those kids. I mean, I, I don't know about you guys, but we're basically in lockdown, lockdown right now here, right? Like, yeah, you can yeah. go to Safeway, you can go to Max or whatever and do what you need to do. Uh, but it's, I have a tremendous amount of empathy for everybody that's involved in that situation. The one thing I will say is you guys know I, I follow college football quite closely and the better the program, the less cases they have. And I think part of it is because their players are more disciplined. Like I look at Alabama and that I, I know Nick Saban's had it. And I know that they're Eli gold who you guys both know used to do predators, but uh, hockey broadcast. He's been, you know, he, he missed his first game out of 409 game, and they only play 13 or 14 games here in NCAA football. So it's like the first game he's missed like 28, 29 years. But they've had very low rates with their players because I think their players, I think the more disciplined the program, the better chance. The deeper the program, the more disciplined the program, the better chance you have 
to overcome the challenges with COVID. That said, it is a, uh, a brutal enemy and it is the enemy, which is unfortunately it's, you know, politically what's happened is forces on both the left and on the right have used COVID at times when the real enemy that we're all fighting is a virus. Yeah. Uh, so I don't have the answer for, I don't have the, I don't have the answer for you in terms of will this thing, I, I'm, I'm going to assume they're going to pull it off. Yeah. Um, Canada's Canada's got 21st rounders that they're, they're about as deep as other than having Lafreniere. They're about as deep as they could be. Uh, Canada's going to have a heck of a chance to win. It means the world to those kids to get a chance to play. Um, and, and again, the, history has shown at least in the last eight months or so, but you know what? Like, look, look what happened with the Ravens. They had four different types of the virus. Yeah. Four different types of COVID. Like I don't even like four different strains. I don't even know how that happens because we're not experts in that area, but I just hope it, you know what? Just like with the NHL season, I hope it comes to fruition because I think we could all use a little bit of, uh, you know, some form of normalcy, at least getting a chance to see some games played. And good for you, Brent, having that experience last year, Paul. I'm sure that was, uh, you know, took you back to a different time and a different place. And uh, no, let's it's hopefully it's, it's, let's hope we get World Juniors and NHL hockey. Bob, one last one for me, and you and I have talked about this at various times. One day soon, hopefully, we will be through with this COVID stuff that's turned everything upside down. Uh, but often events like this, where now we're seeing dressing rooms closed, Zoom access. Yes. Um, sometimes a good idea springs from, or an idea at least, springs from a, you just have to do it to get around a problem. The problem is done, and that aspect hangs on because people go, you know, this isn't a bad idea. Do you see a change down the road when we get through the COVID part of this where access changes, where the dynamic of player interviews change? No, I think that's a really good question. Robin, you experienced it. Remember when you traveled with the Oilers before 9-11 and after 9-11? What happened? Yeah. <laughs> big difference. Yeah, big well, I remember, I remember having to fly out of Logan after 9-11. Uh, I won't go on about it too long. But there were literally um, the military there with the live ammo over their shoulders watching everybody go through. I can't remember exactly how long after 9-11 it was, but we were all looking at each other going, holy cow, what the F is going on here? And it was basically, shut up, say yes or no, yes sir, no sir, and don't cause a problem because it was high alert and high tense. And, you know, things started to change then and now. And that look, at that was a world-changing event, um, even though it was localized largely in, 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 in New York. And, of course, there was the Pentagon and the other plane that crashed. COVID is global, and it's changed everything. Who saw this coming? And I'm just wondering um, what it does to the way the NHL does its business and teams do their business moving forward. Well, as I recall, as a result of 9-11, every team in the league had to fly privately. That was That's what it resulted from 9-11. I'm 100% on board with where you're going with this, Robin. I, I think we're going to see a significant change. We may not have 
what we considered maybe there won't maybe there isn't going to be dressing room access like could you believe um you know and back in the back in the 80s when Wayne Gretzky would sit there and do a scrum with virtually all writers maybe you know one uh, radio guy because the TV generally was done separately and he would hold court for 15 to 18 minutes and guys would be within a foot to two feet of him. Now, given what's happened here with COVID, uh, we, even if everybody gets fully vaccinated, maybe there isn't dressing I don't know what the protocol is going to be. I don't have that answer. We're, everyone's trying to amend on the, like I host Oilers now every day from my house. That is, that is not easy. I don't get to see the whites of the eyes of my producer, Brendan Escott. I can't see if he's got a call that's come in or, you know, somebody's calling from traffic to, uh, you know, hey, that's the wrong spot that's running or somebody's calling on a line and he's having a conversation and I'm sitting there ready because I try to bring him in a couple times an hour on the show, right? And so our world has changed as a result of both. And then, I, then I've got my own situation where my family's in the house and I've got a dog and three cats to the house as well as you're hosting the show. Right. So everything, everything is fundamentally changed. Like it just, and I think it's a fair question. I, I, I think the days of the, the I think that who, who it's going to change for the most is for print. I think for writers, it's going to change the most. Um, Cause when it comes to radio, we can still coordinate an interview and have a guy call into the radio station and pull off a radio interview. Yeah, It doesn't have the same feel as a face-to-face sit-down interview. Maybe that's a thing of the past. It, and and I, I think we all have to be open to that. And I think that's one of the things that's come out of COVID is we've had to change, uh, not our expectations, but I think we've come to realization that we have to think about things differently and be more open. And the, the organizations that are most open and most creative those are the ones that are going to progress and the ones that are narrow minded and no weak and are inflexible. I think those are the ones that are going to get eaten up. So a very good question, Robin, and time will tell in that regard. To wrap things up here, I hope this all gets going in a more positive direction soon so that Kathy isn't going to want to wring your neck and get you out of the house here. Yeah. Cause you're right. It's tough. It's tough working when the house is full of family and we're doing things like this. So uh, thanks for your time today. Uh, we'll, we, we, we don't talk enough. We should talk a little more. Yeah. Uh, keep up the great work because the show sounds fantastic. I don't listen to it live as much as I used to, but the podcast, your podcast numbers are great, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, they are. They're, and, Brent, I, I, what I did not know is that only 55% of the downloads for the podcast are from Alberta. Isn't the that other amazing? 45% are from Alberta. Yeah, and, and you know, you know, Bryn, uh, we talked about this. I know just before the rules changed a bit in terms of how many people could have in your house. We, you know, Marty and AJ, myself, and Paul came over, and so with five of us, that was the limit that we could have in your house. We were there, uh, and but we talked about product, product, product. I mean, the owners have a very strong brand, so that helps. We have good guests, that helps. We try to keep the engagement level up. Uh, and it is hockey specific, but you still have to go to the, the mouth of the lion. And the mouth of the lion since March 11th has been COVID. You cannot ignore what has happened. Um, it is it is incredible in terms of 
the, the, the research I could do just from our, see our text, the way our text system works is it retains the number. I don't know. Uh, every text for like the last year or something like that. I can tell the politics in the texters. Oh yeah. And, and, and frankly, in many, in many cases can tell the eat of the texters in terms of what they sent. And there's very different perspectives on this, which is, and, and what I try to do is I try to understand multiple points of view. I'm not saying I'm right. I'm saying I want to understand why maybe you and me don't agree on this specific. Uh, like one thing I don't like is Alberta Bounce. That is really frustrating. As a guy whose team, like I work for the Oilers Entertainment Group, our team is called the Oilers. I think you both know what side of the ledger I'm going to fall on, on oil and gas. Like I'm going to support that industry. And I, I am particularly, uh, not defensive, but I'm willing to provide some statistical information to maybe fight off uh, the, the individual's, maybe out of central Canada who seem to cast dispersions on all Albertans because the fact of the matter is we live in a city at Edmonton where the NDP carried the balance of the uh, uh, vote in the last provincial election. You know, they've got the majority of the seats in the, in the city right now. And so even Alberta's are very, and that said, I want to understand rural Alberta because rural Alberta is important. It's kind of like Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan said, famously said, Republicans buy shoes too. People said, why wasn't he more? Why didn't he push harder? Well, you know what? The Edmonton Oilers are a team that it doesn't matter if you're to the left or to the right. You know what? You can, they can be your team. And what I, what I want to do is, okay, kind of understand, you know, like I met Rachel Notley. She's an Oilers fan. Like she's a legitimate Oilers fan. She likes hockey. I may not agree with everything that, the NDP tries to put through. I certainly understand where a lot of it comes from. Um, and then we've got guys that are, that have, you know, Michael likes an MP that worked for the Edmonton Oilers. Bernie was there when you were there. He was. And he's a conservative. I just chatted he's a with conservative. him. Now, I, 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 he's a very centrist conservative, but he's a conservative. So I think there's room for everybody and we just got to be, you know, uh, decent and caring and sharing and that doesn't mean you can't be firm in your own convictions, right? It just means you have to show empathy and understanding towards each other. And that's maybe how we can all get the furthest ahead. So I appreciate what you're saying about the numbers. That's awesome stuff. Thanks for your time today. Happy holidays to you and the entire family. And uh, this will be a lot more fun when we get to January and we start to see that there's an NHL season coming. Thanks for your time today. When you guys are stuck and can't get anybody any better, feel free to reach out and call. Well, okay? we're just Thanks, we will. We were just we were just <laughs> we were just talking about the fact that we hadn't had you on in such a long time. So we're happy to get that done, and we'll do it more. Thanks, Bob. Thanks, Brent. Thanks, Robin. Take care, guys. It's the festive season. You know what that means, Robin? It means we're getting to the time when we start uh, trotting out our best of shows over the holidays. Yeah. We had some great guests. And, mm-hmm. and you know, here's the, the crazy part. We didn't do a whole year this year because, obviously, I was kind of out of commission for the first six months. But we've had Ray Ferraro, Chris Cuthbert. Tara Sloan was fantastic. Man, I could go on and on. Dave Jameson. I mean, it, it's a long, long list of 
of fun people. Who else, who am I missing? Yeah, Billy Guerin, um, Seattle Kraken were oh, uh, yeah, represented. Yeah. Todd Humphrey joined uh, us, the uh, senior Humphrey, VP yeah. of Fan Experience at Digital. Yeah, very much so. I mean, we had a lot of great guests this year, so we're going to do what we normally do, and that is chop it up. And so over the holidays, you will have an opportunity to listen to something you might have missed. And if you want yes. to hear the full interview, just go right back on Transistor FM, and you can go back through all of our shows. But th- there's an easy way to do this, and that is the success of our program relies an awful lot on people subscribing to our podcast. You can email us at mightymouth@shaw.ca. Check us out on Twitter. The handle's pretty simple. It's at Outsiders2020. But telling your friends and subscribing to the RSS feed on any of your favorite ear candy sites like Apple, Google, Spotify, Pocket Casts, et cetera, et cetera, that's the best way to make sure that you, uh, when we drop a podcast, you get it right away. But uh, I know that uh, over the holidays, we do have people who just find us and then want to go back and listen to some of the shows. So hopefully the the best of show will work quite nicely for everybody. But the appreciation is, uh, is it, it goes deep with us. Uh, financial support also important for us too, because we would be thrilled to talk to any potential advertisers because we can and will get bigger and better with your support. And that just takes us to the Macintosh Group who jumped on board with us in October. And uh, the Macintosh group at REMAX River City, we can't say enough. And thank Brent and his entire crew for coming on board. You can get a hold of them, by the way, at 780-454. Sorry, that's 464-0075. Once again, 464-0075 or macintoshgroup.ca. They're looking for buyers, they're looking for sellers, and they're also right now looking for a new agent. Wow. So that's it for 2020 for us. And uh, Robin, what a year it's been. <laughs> Let's move on, shall we? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I keep reminding people that just because we're flipping the calendar doesn't mean that everything's going to just change magically overnight because you're waving a magic calendar wand. You still have to work very, very hard at making the next year, the new year, a successful one. I've I've gone through my share of difficulties this year, but you know what? And COVID certainly played a huge role in how we've all had to handle things. But I've actually felt not bad about the year. I know that I'm probably one of the very few that has feel feeling that way. People want this year over and done with as fast as possible. But to me, you've got to work and find positives in every year because there will always be negatives finding them finding its way to you. So be ready for 2021. Well, I would only suggest this, Bryn. If you could avoid taking a, as long a break this coming year, I think that would be great for all involved. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely correct about that. I, uh, I'm looking forward very much to the upcoming year. Robin, thanks for your time today. Thanks for your time over the last six months. Robin, thanks for your time, and I look very much forward to the upcoming year. Yeah, me too, pal. All Talk right. to you soon. All right, stay healthy. Talk to you later. In the meantime, and in between time, that's it. Another edition. One thing.